When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 371. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com. The show where we help you experience more healing, more awakening, and more abundance. In today's episode, we're going to talk about some amazing topics such as breathwork, healing emotions, shifting your mindset, transforming your life, and living your true calling in your life. So if you're interested in any of these topics, then make sure that you stay till the very end uh, because we've got a special guest whose name is Greg Manion. Greg used to work as a performing artist on the streets of La Ramblas, Barcelona. He spent years feeling disillusioned by life until one day when his perception shifted and he came across practices like meditation and breath work and much more. And since 2018, he's run successful retreats, classes, workshops, and coaching sessions across 15 countries. So really interesting story. And as you know, I love to have interesting people on my podcast. So Greg, welcome to our show. <laughs> Hello, I am just literally, if you're in one second, doing that there. Okay, that's fine for one second. Excuse me, technology. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me, man. Um, we've like, we kind of spoken a little bit the last few weeks, I think maybe a month and a half through the wonderful world of online. And you came to one of my Sunday sessions the other day. And I love the way you spoke. And anyway, just uh, first of all, I really appreciate you inviting me and I'm happy to be here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Greg has a special way of teaching, of sharing, of uh, <laughs> making people feel relaxed and breathing together. And I said, I have to have Greg on our show and to learn more about your story as well as share your story with all of our listeners worldwide. Yeah. So maybe you can start at the very begin, uh, beginning. How did uh, your uh, journey begin? Uh, maybe if you could start with telling us where you grew up. Okay. Well, actually, it was weird. So I'm coming on this, this show and there's a video and there's people going to watch. And I forgot. Well, I didn't forget. But today I was wearing the Beatles t-shirt, which I've got. Yeah. I've only got one. And I thought, well, I might as well keep it on because, yeah, I'm from Liverpool. Um, I grew up um, just outside of Liverpool, like 30, mi 30 miles down the road in a place called Formby. It was beautiful. I say that because I grew up on the beach. I grew up right next to the beach in the forest. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and then we moved to Liverpool when I was eight because my mother was quite ill. Um, she had cancer. And then when I was nine, she died. And we lived in Liverpool. And I grew up there. And it was a really good education. And I like I mention it because you've got this, so you've got the countryside where the kid grew up and he was surrounded by trees, beautiful campsite nearby, really nice house. And possibly everyone in England talks about the different classes. So probably like a middle class upbringing with a working class tendency in a way. Um, and then I went to Liverpool and it was great because it gives you a totally different perspective. I love Liverpool. I mean, I've, I haven't lived there for many years. 
Um, and it can be hard, not hard to live there, but it's intense place. But it's a very good education in life. Mm. Uh, it was John Lennon who said it as well. He was happy that he grew up in Liverpool because it really teaches you it's quite a tough place, but it's a mm. real character, you know. So I grew up there and, um, yeah, normal life. Not a, I mean, considering we had that tragedy, my life wasn't too bad at all. You know, I don't think I had a particularly hard life or anything. Um, family situation was okay. When we got to 17, though, we all started getting our different places to live, still living in Liverpool. I always had this thing about traveling and I wanted to see more of the world and do more. So when I was 20, literally a few days after my 20th birthday, I left to go to Australia for a year. It was amazing because it was the first time away um, from like your peer group, your family. And I, I got there and I honestly, I kind of I shit myself, you know, I was like, oh my God. But I, I, I went for it and I stayed and I really enjoyed it. And it was a big change. And the funny thing is I stopped at Bali on the way and Bali on the way back for four days. And I noticed huge shift in myself and the funny thing is now i've just been back to bali for the first time in like 22 years recently i'm in thailand now but anyway i came back and then i yeah i lived in liverpool but i also traveled a lot more in amsterdam in italy in spain and mm -hmm. then over the years i my kind of the point where i had to change was when i i got in i was drinking always but like kind of normal for an english lad and just doing okay with it. Maybe I was drinking a bit too much, but it severely got worse. And then I had a girlfriend in Barcelona and then we just basically split up and she left Barcelona and I decided to go and follow her, go back to Barcelona. We were on and off for a while, but now we're still good friends. But essentially when I went to Spain, I really got into drinking quite heavily um, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And I mentioned it because it was a huge turning point when like anything, if you admit you have a problem, that's when you can do something about it. And right now, I mean, in my life, I'm not exactly walking around perfect and i admit this and i admit that and i can solve it tomorrow no i still live in a certain amount of denial but i lived in denial for years with alcohol and it really nearly killed me it was awful the last few years it was just a mess um i just about survived but i went to a 12-step program i admitted i had a problem that was the real start of i remember not like i have to be someone else and i have to be this different person and change my life no it was more about going back to who I was, you know? Mm -hmm. So I basically, um, yeah, after about six months of going to that program and really not drinking ever again, that was seven and a half years ago, I noticed a huge shift. And I also noticed that it was a very spiritual 12-step program. Not in the sense that you have to sit there and believe in God with a higher power, something to get you out of your head. And I really understood that. Um, and I went through the work and I've never looked back. I've never gone into drinking ever again. I don't feel like it. I don't want it at all. It's really weird, but that's the way it is. And then... Mm -hmm. Maybe two years afterwards, because in that program that you're not really supposed to say, but it's called AA, um, uh, in that program, it, you're supposed to meditate a bit, but it wasn't something that they picked on too much. And my sponsor actually told me what to do. And he said, OK, look at the tree, sit there and just think about the intelligence of the tree and just be silent. And just think about that tree. Now, a nice, not a bad idea, but like me, like many, many other people, I was like three minutes and then I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Oh, look at that tree. Look at that other tree. Look at that car. Hey, I've got to do the washing. Oh my God, yeah. what time is it? That person is really annoying me that isn't here. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So I couldn't actually get into it. Um, I didn't get into it then. Uh, I appreciated trying. And then I remember I had a girlfriend and she was like trying to convince me to meditate and I didn't. Uh, but I knew kind of what it was. But again, like many people, I couldn't really. So then fast forward, maybe a year later, I had an operation and I was forced to slow down completely because I generally, I kind of don't stop, you know, I'm quite an active person. And I was forced to completely stop. I had like one or two weeks of really recovery where I could do very, very, very little. So I, I turned on um, YouTube, as, as always, with different people that I'm into there. And David Lynch was talking about transcendental meditation. And the reason why this is quite pivotal is because 
not that this is what I hope to do eventually. It's what I hope to do is just be purely me with trying to attract people into breathwork and meditation because David Lynch was someone I admired and I didn't see him as anyone special. He talked about it in the most simple way that it's available to everyone. It's a simple meditation. And that is what drew me in. His character, the fact of the way he talked about it, it took away anything that made these things too special. Anything that makes these things like slightly out of reach for the average person. Um, and, they, you know, maybe I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder there with some of that perceived kind of specialness. And for me, it needed someone like that to draw me in. And it did. And I learned the technique and found it very powerful. It's very simple. A lot of people, well, some people are against it because you have to pay quite a bit to go. I didn't pay that much, but I admit I admired having to do the course. And then from there, I did that for a year or so. And then I got into Wim Hof slowly. And then the same month, two years ago, in the same month, I went to a Tony Robbins event and a Wim Hof event in the same time. Now, the, the detrimental, because with the Tony Robbins, it just felt it was the right time to get into this and feel these things. And I like that style that he has. Some people don't, but I think it's very powerful. And he does go on about the emotion as well. So I was there and I was dancing away in London. I was going for it. And I loved it, man. I really enjoyed it. But I also knew quite a lot of it anyway from YouTube. And from the many years of going to meetings, you, you have to do a lot of work in those meetings, I think. Um, and then I went to Wim Hof in the same month, who I knew, but I had a profound experience. Number one, with 200 people in a room, that's why meditating in general with a group is really, really powerful. So 200 people in the room, we're all breathing together. I was particularly like pissed off that day. I didn't really want to go. And I was like, oh. And the amazing thing is after that really strong, powerful breath work, I was crying, I was releasing, but in the best way possible. It wasn't like, oh, I need to go home. I was just like, oh my God, I could feel it all just come out of me. And I went up to my friend afterwards, who I went, had a big hug. I'm like, I have to do this. I have to do this. It was a mixture of the breath work. I liked the music and that, but I also had this little thing in my mind where I saw all the people and they were talking about science and things and the method and I liked it. But mm. something about the whole thing, I said, I know I could do that a little bit better because I used to do bits of performance and a little bit of acting and singing things. And something told me I, that fit me. And mm -hmm. I loved the effect. And I loved the fact it's meditation mixed with energy where I come from. And since then, I've never looked back. I studied both. Sorry, that's where I met Naraj, who was there at the time. I went straight to the front of the stage and said, I want to be an instructor. And I met Naraj, who came up with Soma. And that was just over two years ago. I haven't looked back. And I studied both. But I went more to Soma because I really admired that it had more to it. I think it takes the Wim Hof method to another level, personally, um, of the way that it mixes the music and the way that it mixes the power of your subconscious and your, the law of attraction. Those, those, All those ingredients are very powerful. And then I realized very soon that I could make it my own as well, my own special kind of freaky way. And that's my kind of story in a nutshell up until more or less now. Uh, <laughs> the, last two years, the last two years have been very intense. Fascinating. Thanks a lot for sharing. And obviously, so many things that you shared, which were interesting. Something that everyone can relate to is the fact that, uh, you know, researchers found that we think about 64 to 70,000 thoughts on a daily basis. We feel so distracted with so many things in our way, whether it's social media or what's happening in the news or, you know, these anxious moments of whether or not we'll have our jobs tomorrow or maybe a relationship mm -hmm. issue and all these different things coming our way. And all people want to do is, you know, release their stress, reduce their anxiety, just feel feel better. And and what you're pointing to is one thing is not meant for all, right? Mm -hmm. So we're on this quest of trying out meditation or trying out transcendental meditation or doing mm -hmm. something else or trying out mindfulness until we come to practice that, you know, really works for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, if somebody's out there, you know, my suggestion is not to give up 
And that's one of the reasons why we do these uh, podcasts is to expose you to different modalities and different practices and different people who have found a way to experience oneness, experience bliss, experience joy. Thanks a lot for sharing that story. It seems pretty uh, synchronistic as if, you know, one thing led to the other, one person met, you know. Uh, yes. What, what are your thoughts on, 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 on synchronicity where we hold our intention on a certain thing and then things, people, experiences, opportunities, they just have a way of um, appearing or manifesting in front of us. Um, I now can see it, agree with it, and I feel it, and it's happened so many times, it's ridiculous. Before, again, possibly two years ago, uh, it's not like, oh, my life completely changed. It's more yeah. like this continuation. And like I just seem to fit in my path, and that fit with so many other people I've met. But these synchronicities, it really does work. I mean, we focus, we think about these things. I mean, it's called the reticular activating system, the filter. So if we think of the red car, I want the red car. I'm thinking about it, blah, blah, blah. The next day, you're going to see that red car everywhere, you know? And it's really that mm. simple. So I want that particular, because it's so easy, like you just mentioned, it is so easy because the brain is designed to help us survive. So I've got to deal with this problem, you know? And this problem here and that there, and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I should do this. She's amazing. That isn't good. I need that. It's never ending and it never will end. Yeah. But if, if we can reduce a little bit of that and just focus our mind on what we want instead of being controlled by the outside. And I'm, But on this point, I'd like to point out that I do everything wrong as well. You know, if you could say it that way, the wrong or right. I do everything like I think over too much. I'm running around too much. My mind goes over. I was actually writing things recently, again, with my sponsor from the past on like daily things that you think about or you do and how you did. And I realized some of these patterns, they just they're still there. And a lot of the things and the people I wrote down, they weren't even here. It's just inside the mind. So it's kind of freaky, but it's good to write these things down so you, you observe them. But with the synchronicities, um, yeah, it really, it did happen on a, on, a, on a more of a catalyst with Soma because I'd genuinely be doing the breath work. I'd be thinking. And as well, I believe you need to do the practice with these things. But it's also, <laughs> if you have a certain will in a way, like right now, it's about eight months into a two-month journey I was going to do going around the world a little bit. And now it's eight months in and I've literally traveled around the world twice, but obviously I have to stop and I'm here now in Thailand. Um, because I had for like three or four months in my mind, maybe even less, but this vision, I was going to do this. And I was going to go in November. It's going to be two or three months. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to organize things in Barcelona. And because I just kept thinking that because I had a passion for it and a belief, it just happened. I would put things on Facebook. I would meet people and said, yeah, come to my place in Florida. I would go to um, different parts of the United States. Yeah, I know someone in New York. I'd go there. I'd go there and meet them. Then I'd go to Thailand. Then I'd go here. Then I'd go there to Bali and people I knew. But I had this, this will and this passion to do what I want to do. And the beautiful side there is that's really what happened from the beginning for me. And it, I am not your normal kind of meditation person, but I had this energy for what I do that mm -hmm. I can't even explain why I feel the way I do about it. I think. Uh, if anything, it might be the connection, pure connection that you feel with other people when you're doing the practice as a group with all these people. You came to the Sunday session last week, and it's only a small group of people online, but everyone can feel that. Now, mm -hmm. if you can do that online with 50 people, 100, or you do it in a group with three or four or 300, it's amazing. You can really feel that connection. But uh, back quickly then to the synchronicities, it's, um, it is freaky what the good thing is, because my, my ex-girlfriend, who I met at the beginning of um, Soma as well, she was very, very good with this, recognizing these things and seeing them. I wasn't before, you know, and I think a lot of people have all these things, but you don't recognize them. She would tell me, I was like, Greg, did you know that it's this? And look at the number. It means, and I was like, okay. And here's another mm. simple one, a very simple one, how the yeah. mind can be tricked. 
So the number 11, 11, 11, 11. Mm -hmm. I was told for some reason years ago, maybe when I was a kid, that it was unlucky. It's unlucky. I know. So therefore, my mind, 11, 11, it's unlucky. So what you had to do, you had to look at the clock twice. Do you remember that one? It was weird. Before it went to 11, 12. What on earth? I did it. Yeah, I did it. And I'm not superstitious, but that was one of the things I did for years. And I give him credit. It was Naraj who told me about like the, the number being in the flow, you know? So I was like, yeah. And I believed it. And then a lot of other people started to tell me. So simply my brain twisted. And then every time I see 11-11, if I'm on a conversation with someone, it's poignant. We haven't spoken for a while. Something happens. The other day, I was doing the 21-day protocol for SOMA. I was leading the sessions online. And I looked up and there's 11 participants. And again, it just gets me. So instead of looking at that and go, oh, it's unlucky. I just like, that's it. That's what I need. But I'm in the flow. It's 11. Mm-hmm. So the reason I, what does that mean? It might mean nothing at all. But it's the way you perceive something the way you see that thing, that really intrigues me. That really intrigues me about, because again, breathwork, it's not just breathwork. It's not just meditation. The thing that we're doing with Stoneman in my particular little style is really twisting all these things together and playing with the brain, changing the neurochemistry in the brain, if you can, um, Mm -hmm. which I know that you can, you know, it's, it's very, very powerful. And of course, you mix music with it, any old music. So the Action Tribe, uh, it's time to take a couple of seconds to ponder and think about all the synchronicities and all the uh, coincidences uh, that have happened in your life or are happening in your life and the people that came out of nowhere, because like we're discussing, it takes some time to notice the shifts and the uh, you know things that are happening quite randomly that are helping you go to where you need to go. But the truth is that you need to hold that vision in your mind, whether it's through meditation or breath work or some other practice, so that you feel it before you, you know, see it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. No, that's totally it. And I, I can really agree with that now because I know it. I, I've done it so many times. The mm. same goes, unfortunately, for the opposite. For the opposite. Yeah. When you just concentrate on the bad things and you, you yeah. it's a get into habit. You know, yeah. this machine is just designed to like keep us going. So you got to think about that thing. Ah, oh, you got to break it. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. So Greg, going back to your story, at some mm-hmm. point you decided to become a street performer in Barcelona, right? So how did that happen? Like, where were you? What was happening? And Okay. Context. So basically in Barcelona, I went there and lived there many years ago, about 18 years ago for a year. So I had some contacts. Okay. I went back on a kind of whim. Uh, I even took my cat with me and it's the longest relationship I've ever had, Betty. She's no longer with us, but an absolute beauty. We drove to Barcelona, filled mm. the car with everything and got there. And I was there for a few years. I mentioned the drinking got steadily worse, but I used to be a painter and decorator as well. Whatever I've done, it's in my adult life, it's nearly always been like as an independent self-employed. So I kind of just picked things that I could do where I could do well daydream as well. And a lot of my meditations were like daydream is real powerful because it is. And I would paint and decorate. And I quite enjoyed it, to be honest, because I was on my own most of the time, put music on and just get on with it. And I'm, I'm very good. And I enjoy changing the whole aspect of someone's house. I believe I could do many other things in life. But I was going along that road. And again, yeah. not fulfilling my potential, you know. But I had a conversation with someone one day I was working with because I'm genuinely quite gregarious and outgoing. And like I mentioned, the little bits of acting I've done and performance, even as a, as a little kid, I was always like trying to dance and sing and do something. Yeah. And he was like, Greg, you could do the um, you could do the statue on the street, the toilet man. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And the guy had been doing it for a few years. So he invited me in um, and I was drinking at the time, let's say pretty heavily. You know, mm. it was getting to be a problem. And I have to mention that because it's key. So then I started and this guy was doing it a bit and he just needed someone else to do it with him. And then eventually he left. So it was just me doing it on my own. And it was dressed, painted 
white legs, white, white face, pants down, pretending to go to the toilet on the rambas in front of 200, 300 people all the time, several times a week. It was insane. Right. It was actually, in moments, it was brilliant. I mean, brilliant, because you're just making people laugh and smile. Yeah. But at the other, on the other side of that coin, it was pretty soul-destroying because I had to keep going. I could earn quite good money doing it, so I kept going, but I was drinking. I would walk at like six or seven to get the spot on the Ramblas, one of the busiest streets in the, in Europe. And I would okay. get there in the morning, I'd wheel down the thing, and I would go there, but I'd be drinking from the morning till night. I just seemed to survive. But someone just kind of pushed me in that direction because I was outgoing. And possibly, yeah, the, one of the best things and the worst things, it took me three years to get out of that situation. By the end, I was really not in a particularly good place. But like anything, I had some great moments. But by the end, I was pretty much, I was done. And then I had one more year before I completely stopped uh, drinking. So it seems like from what you're sharing, um, that that particular job allowed you to a certain extent to pursue what you're passionate about, which, like you mentioned, is acting, drama, um, you know, making people laugh, entertaining people. But also at a certain point, you felt like you weren't really living your calling. You weren't really aligned with what you were meant to do here on Earth. So talk to us about that phase where you felt like, you know what, this is not what I'm truly meant to do, as well as this is not really that manageable. You know, talk to us about that phase where you felt that need to shift or to change. Um, it was probably during the whole period, but you just mentioned something very important there about not manageable. And it, I forgot about that because when you go into that 12-step program I mentioned, you have to admit that your life has become unmanageable. And for most people, they can't do that because the ego, it has to take a battering. So eventually I did do that. But let's say for those two of those years, it wasn't every day, but it was on my mind. And I knew deep down that this wasn't me. So right. I'm sitting there and you get through. It's like... Most of the day, I think quite a lot of people do this, but I was doing it to the extreme level because I was out there, I was in front of all these people doing it, again, with great moments. And I mean it, some good friends, some good moments, but just soul-destroying. And that whole process, it's funny looking back now because, yeah, that was the tipping point that, like, when you keep doing a thing, you know it's so bad. And, like, they do say in uh, in AA, you have to, like, it's the gift of desperation. You get to the end of the end right. of the end. You can't go anymore doing what you're doing. Now, and I've just remembered something else. This whole subject intrigues me, actually, is because yeah. I feel a little bit sorry for other people that have specific addictions, which is a large majority of people and uh, people aren't really aware, aware of it, I think. But addictions that they cannot stop because they're kind of just about under control. Yeah. That's, to me, one of the danger signs. Because I have an extreme personality, I took it so far, and I'm not proud of it, but it wasn't good, but it was so far over the edge, there was no way to go other than come back. But the thing is, you mentioned about time and when you realize it, I would have woken up um, hundreds, hundreds of times in the morning over those last few years and being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? Just desperate for a drink. Now that's the drink, that's the brain of it. Yeah. But you take away, I realized this several months after that, you take away the drink and whatever problems I was having in my life, in my head, it was about 2% where it was real, but it was just exagger exaggerated. But I had to go through that phase to then come out of the other sides and not necessarily just be like, hey, you are, but I definitely just bit by bit grew back to being me. I just wanted mm. to be the, the child that I am, but also the man that I am, you know, and my girlfriend right. at the time would call me baby man because mm. I'm a, very much a mixture between the two and quite good with that. If anything, yeah, definitely I'm, I'm very, very relaxed with myself and good with myself now, but I wasn't. I wasn't at all. And I think for me and some other people, the same thing, you have to really go to the edge and then there's nowhere else to go. Some people don't make it and you have to come back this way. And I'm so right. happy that I was doing that job. I was so happy. That, and it wasn't the job. It's me, you know, 
you, if you pointed to something else, my relationship was weird. I had a terrible childhood. Lots of people have all these things. But if it's basically me, no one was forcing me. So I pushed myself to the limit. Um, but luckily, I came back from the other side. And then it does correlate so much with when you just find something that fits. And that's, yeah. I still get this strange kind of performance that I do in my workshops. But at the same time, it's beautiful because even when I started doing bits of acting and playing when I was very, very young, I always wanted to be a group thing. I wanted people to be in this group. Some people just literally want to stand on stage and it has to be about them. Now, I have yeah. an ego. I'm still, I'm alive. So some of that is there. But I really want to make this a group. And a lot of people talk about that when they come to my live workshops and even online is to get everyone involved. That's how you do it. And then if all of a sudden I'm there, we're doing breath work, where literally your electromagnetic field, your aura is expanding because you're breathing in a rhythm. You're with all these people talking about emotions, which again, ties a little bit back to AA. Everyone's sober. I used to be really drunk talking about my emotions. I loved it. It was great. But then I got sober and you could do it in a room. And that was really, really healthy. Uh, And now I do it with people. All these little ingredients have come in. So I hopefully, I add something which is kind of unique to my workshops. It's really very honest and open and like out there to get people to be out there and and express themselves more. But then I also Mm -hmm. hope and I believe I do stand back and let people take space. Even if someone wants to explain a certain thing, either about breathing or I let them just explain it because sometimes they can do it better than me. I don't have the answers. I just like being the guide. It's, it's not really a leader, it kind of is, but it's a guide. And if a guide can be there, he'll also stand back. You know, yeah. I think that's very important. And again, just the final point on this is, I honestly don't know what it is, but all these mixtures of things, mm-hmm. and something something is I really, really like about this. So I don't know what it is. Yeah. I love the word that you used, which is uh, soul crushing a while back mm-hmm. in describing the type of work that uh, you had to do at that point. And uh, that's that's an apt word because I believe that people are here for a particular purpose, for a mission, for an objective, to get something done. And I do these calls from time to time with people in my Facebook group, which I call dream calls, where I, you know, uh, speak with them, have a conversation, understanding what's holding them back. What are these obstacles that they feel are in their life that's not allowing them to live their fullest uh, uh, expression? And When we discuss about, like I tell them, what if time and money were not constraints? What would you ideally do? And you should see how their entire aura lights up because they see the possibility. And yeah. I feel great, you know, just like you sort of alluded to, I feel great in doing so. And I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins also okay. for many years, for close 10 years now. When yeah, I had yeah, a job that I really hated, I used to just listen to Tony Robbins and, and Les Brown and, and Brian Tracy and all those amazing people. And I remember he once said that, uh, he spoke about desperation. He said people change because of two reasons. One is inspiration or desperation. Usually inspiration is powerful, but not as powerful as desperation. And it's so beautiful that you mentioned that it's not bad to feel desperate. Um, you, know, you know, you feel desperate, you want to change, you want to change, you want to change until you, you, you see that you, things have to change. Yes. And maybe things don't change, but that's not a bad thing as long as you're on the pursuit or the quest for transformation. So thanks a lot for sharing. I think it's really useful for a lot of people out there who are listening to a podcast, who are watching a YouTube video, who want to change because they know that they're meant for something much more greater. Now, I want to take you back to because you, you realized that you had to change. And then somewhere down the line, did somebody tell you about breathwork? Because then you found yourself at that Wim Hof conference yeah. with 200 people. So what happened there? What type of conversation did you have? Did you read something online? Or where did that connection happen? Again, it goes back to um, the program. And my um, sponsor, friend of mine, okay. he mentioned it. But again, because of a character like David Lynch. He's a okay. character. 
So that that's a way for me to go in there without going, okay, breath work, what's breath work? And again, is it going to be a guy who's maybe different to me or perceived to be, di- to be different from me and I'm not going to be so attracted to it? Um, but it was Wim Hof that opened the doors because my my friend just said, oh, you'd, you'd like this, you know, I think you'd really like this. We talk about everything in life, you know. Yeah. And see, I, okay, so I watched the Joe Rogan interview and I watched it and I liked him and I got into some of the, just the basic simple breathing. You could feel a difference in the body. I was doing it a bit. But like a few other things, I didn't pursue it completely until my friend said, look, let's go just to see him live and let's do Tony Robbins. You know, credit my, to my other friend who got me to go to both of those in the same month. Um, and that, 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 was, that really was the turning point because something just switched. It was just a friend, my sponsor, who told me. And then, again, it's a character. And he is <laughs> a character. And someone called it the other day, at the end of the day. Wim Hof <laughs> is the gateway drug. Is the yeah. gateway drug into breath work and all these things. And it is because a lot of people, and especially I see them in my workshops, that still aren't quite sure, but they yeah. tried the Wim Hof method because it's powerful, it's quick, yeah. it has such a character. Yeah. Then it means that everyone can try it. And that's what I love. If you... And if it's one of my missions that I'm still trying to do it in like a kind of business sense, which I'm not great at yet, is to put myself out there more with things like this and other videos and things and even meditations that are really kind of weird or a yep. bit like over the top. Just yep. to say it doesn't matter. You can do it. I don't have really any rules for the way I do things. And I teach other instructors now and like mentorship programs with Soma. And I tell them it's got to be you. And I give yep. them some of my ideas. It's not don't do what I do, but let's be as much as you as possible. Because that actually relates back to the the acting I did. There was a really strict teacher I had, and he was good but crazy. And he would he would be like, "What are you doing? What are you doing, Greg? I, I don't <laughs> see it. I torture us because you don't act when you're acting. You have to be you, and you have to be emotional. So you, make, you, you have to pass that emotion. Now, if you in all those classes I did, and uh, there was a few times that I and my scene partner would really affect the other people in the room and vice versa. And everyone mm. in that would love that. That's what I liked about the class. It was a real group. And you, because what would happen is you weren't acting, you were feeling the emotion of that character at that time. Right. So this mm-hmm. is what I say to the other instructors. And this is what as well I can, we can have a conversation about later, later because you're going to be a Stoneman instructor now as well. Yeah. You add whatever it is. You are like that look you've got right now. I can see a change. There's a sparkle in your eye just when, mm. you, when you were thinking about doing that. So wherever that road is, whatever the emotion is for you underneath, if you are doing a live meditation or even here and you genuinely feel it, you genuinely feel the emotion, the words, the other people in the room was, will feel it. And that to me, I've had that only a few times in acting and that is the spirit. And it's exactly the same as the meditations. If I feel it, it doesn't mean I have to every time, but if I feel it, if I'm present, then they are yeah. going to feel exactly what I'm saying on my journey because I close my eyes and I can see it. I'm trying to obviously pick out things that people have mentioned and bring that in. Mm-hmm. But if you can do that, to me, there's many similarities with the, the world of the acting, the performance, the play, what's behind the words of any good play or any good film. Because I grew up watching every film you can imagine. And mm-hmm. music, our whole family is very musical. My brother's a musician. He's making the music for my uh, courses that I'm doing and meditations now. Yeah. And it, what is behind that? I can sit here and write a little meditation now. But if I really take a moment to feel and think about these words, then it's going to be a guide on the piece of paper. Then it's going to come out differently if I feel differently. And right. it's often so true. I mean, so many things to come out of here because you spoke about you spoke about acting. You spoke about that one friend. I mean, I'll start with acting first. I'm not an actor myself. I'm not received training in acting, but I do know some fundamentals for acting. And what I do know is that when you're trying to when you're attempting to act, you can't try to act. You know, you can't try yeah. to be that character. You need to step into that character. 
and that's what you see in one of the be- some of the best uh, actors who win these Oscar awards is that they spend months and months being that character, not attempting to portray that character. And sometimes they they get into addic- addictive behaviors. Sometimes their entire character changes. You know, they become overweight because they are that person mm-hmm. which the audience really sees. And I think that's for manifestation as well. You can't pretend like you're attempting to manifest that. You need to already live that type of um, lifestyle, which which really helps, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to live it because you can also, I think with that, is the, the key with acting is being a very good observer as well. Observer, I, found, yeah. I found out when I was younger that Gregory is from Greek and it means watchful. And I've always been oh. pretty much a voyeur, a people watcher, hence the films and things. But you can really observe how people behave and you can put that into yourself and then produce that. It has to come from you. It doesn't, yeah. even if you're playing a horrible character, it doesn't mean that you are, but it means you can bring those things out. And that's actually why it's quite tough because you get emotional right. and we're all humans. So we want to stop the emotion, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, like, if I did everything I said to like the students I had, I'd be, I'd be great, you know, but I don't. It's like, do, do what I say, but don't do what I do. Not quite because I do do the practices, but like okay. some of these things, we, we can't help ourselves. We had several hmm. tests in the acting class where he would even, I'm very animated. And he would, yeah. we'd get it, he'd get us to sing the song. Yeah. We had to know the song, we had to feel it, sing it. And then he said, okay, great, stop. All right, well, just stop, just just don't move. I'm like, okay, don't move. And then I'd start singing again, and just in front of the whole class, which is kind of, like, mm. then he'll go, great, great, great. I'm like, what? He said, don't move. I'm like, because it's emotion. It's mm. emotion you spend. I'm like, so if you do it and you have to stay completely still and you look at someone right in the eye and you feel the words, it's unbelievable. The next time I sang, everyone started crying because I was singing this song and I felt it because I didn't move. I just didn't move. And it's not like I can't move. I've got to stay still. He was very good because he would get us to really trust him. He said, look, we're going to go for this and I want you to trust me and stay with me. And he'd ask me certain personal questions and he'd mm. go deeper and deeper. And again, what happens is, which again, I learned when someone hypnotized me slightly, was when the emotion comes up, we'll, we'll often do this and we'll just suppress it just to, again, survival mechanism. And you're, you'll hold it for two seconds. It's better to release. But again, you can't always walk around in the street and release and release. It's like screaming or crying. We mm-hmm. need to do them. I don't think we do them enough. Two years ago, I did the screaming on the beach. And it really, really made a difference with my bad back. Because I was like, ah! I don't even know what I was angry at. But it's in yeah. there. It, the yeah. trauma stayed in the body. And I keep yeah. replaying the memory without realizing. It's all this, this wonderful but subconscious mind over here. Um, I've drifted slightly there onto many things. But yeah. That brings me very briefly, if I may say, to the power of the subconscious mind. That was one of the books that, um, again, changed my direction in my life. It was about four years ago. I was at a yeah. chiropractor, and she was good, and there was another guy who was helping me that realized that it's structural, but the pain I was having wasn't because this, like there was a huge twist in my back. There was an injury there, but the pain I was having was inflammation from emotional things and other things oh. and stress. So she gave me this, well, she rather, she told me about the book. Hang on, see The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy, 1967, I think. And I like Tony Robbins, a lot of, a lot of his stuff is coming from this, a lot of it. Um, and that book really changed my way of thinking because I realized how powerful all these thoughts were. I realized you could sit there at night and hypnotize yourself when you're in like a deep, low theta state and just repeat some words and mantras in your mind, you know. Um, yeah. And that was one of the starts of meditation. Actually, that was the start of meditation. My chiropractor got me to do chanting, and that was the first time I really felt it again because how do you do meditation? What does it mean? I shouldn't think. Yes, you should think, but you should observe. But again, the physical aspect for me, which was the heart chakra, he said, just do this, Greg, and think about green, close your eyes, and go yam. So I'm like, Mm. okay, is he crazy or what? You know, 
because it, he said, it's, you've got things inside you that need to come out. Well, okay, really smart guy, really good. And so he called his company NeuroCairo as well, because it's not just structure, it's just the brain, Greg. So I'm doing this. The first week I had this amazing relief because mm. about uh, a month earlier, my ex-girlfriend had left. This was about five years ago now. And it, it I hadn't released properly, you know, even though we weren't together. So and I did that and I just felt this release every single time. So that was that was the key for me because I could feel it. Someone said, do this, do that. You're going to do this. You're going to feel like this, but nothing happens. Then you won't yeah. do it again. You do it and you feel it, then you'll do it again, which is why I like breathwork. Oh, yeah. That's really powerful what you shared is sometimes just the meditation and sitting in silence does not help. You need to do like physically stuff that will get you to feel them, whether it's taking a cold shower or shaking or screaming yes. or moving or chanting or even breathing and all these things, although it might not seem uh, logical, gets your body to sort of move and the body is connected to the mind. So it influences the mind too, which is beautiful. So talk to us about why do you feel breathwork is so effective? Like what does it do for you? Okay, well, immediately it changes the way you feel. Number one, you have a power over that. So, right. I mean, there's several different things happening in the body, but basically, so the Wim Hof method, let's start with that, for example, your rhythmical breathing, but it's quite a pace and then you're holding your breath out. So you put your body under a certain amount of stress, um, but it's actually quite a positive stress because you're re releasing these feel-good hormones and chemicals, and then you're twisting that round and breathing in and playing with something in just a different way again. So we're playing with our entire energetic field without really saying that and this is one of the things i want to get rid of any dogma it's just not my style any kind of strict rules call it billy's breath it doesn't matter to be honest you know just do it but to me the power of it is that i could feel it's something tangible straight away a bit like the tony robbins thing he's like so <clears throat> you you wake up in the morning you do something normal for a few hours and you get pissed off and you have to do something you haven't really stressed you haven't done any energetic work whatsoever and you have to deal with, and whatever you have to deal with or make a decision on, it's going to be on your state that you're in at the time, mm -hmm. physical and emotional, and they're very, very much tied. So yeah, with Tony, and you mentioned shaking. I love shaking. So simple, mm -hmm. two minutes. Mm -hmm. I just you look really weird, but you shake it out because we've got all this tension around here, the lower yeah. back, the legs, and you're just shaking. And if you can scream at the same time or also do like hands in the air, tell your brain you're excited. This really, really works. So now mm -hmm. I go back to my, my situation or the thing I have to do. I'm going to deal with that in a completely different way. I had mm -hmm. it. It was yesterday. I specifically remember how powerful this thing is. I'm walking down the road and I was a bit like, doo -doo 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 -doo, not too impressed with the day or myself, just tired. And something, that was it. It was a frog. A frog came in front of me and bounced in front of me. And it was just beautiful. I was like, it made me totally change the way I was thinking about my entire day. And it was so funny because the thing I was thinking about, literally 10 seconds later, I was happy to do simply because I saw a frog going past and I was like, that's a lovely little frog. And it changed right. my entire way of thinking. I know I've gone on a tangent, but it does yeah. really relate to how we can change ourselves physically, which will then really change the way we think about things, the way we see things, the way we want to do things in our day. And again, I'm a component. I do it and I also don't do it. That's why I can tell quite when there's a big difference, you know, but usually I'm not too bad with getting my mind into a reasonable state. But the breath work, even right. if it's just a few minutes, Will change you easily. That's that's so amazing. And I love that you said that you do it and you don't do it. A lot of people say that they do it and they do it and they do it. But I think if you're honest with yourself, there are you know there are phases where you might not do it, yeah. but then those instances are times when you realize how important the practice is, right? When you, yeah, exactly. you feel that stress or that anxiety, you always know back at the back of your mind that you have these practices 
that you can go back to, which strengthens your connection to these practices yeah. in the first place. So, you know, thanks a lot for sharing that. So you sort of suggested that you're not just breathing, but there are different ways in which you're breathing, right? So could you talk to us about the different ways in which breathing really influences our physiology or our state? Most simple one is to extend your exhale. So breathing in through the nose. And I mean, it's weird when I repeat this like a thousand times because I think everyone right. knows, but they don't. Even now, I've just done that, but I'm probably breathing into my chest a little bit. But as a habit, now I'm breathing towards the belly and the lower part of the body nearly always. Still talking quite fast, still going, but there. Breathe through the nose towards your belly. It's going to cool the air. It's going to go straight down to the lower part of the lungs. You're going to get more oxygen into those receptors in the lungs. And then you're going to breathe out through the mouth. This is just a simple, simple technique, the one I like probably the most. Out through the mouth for twice as long or even longer. Now that could be a um and sitting there having your moment and doing the tone, which is going to affect different parts of the body. Or you can literally walk down the road, breathe in by two and out by four. Now you can do that to music or by self. And I've tested it so many times. I always go back to this one scene and I did it for the first time, walking down the road in Barcelona feeling a bit agitated. I think I did two minutes of that. <sighs> Realizing that it does affect my parasympathetic nervous system instead of my sympathetic, because in the lower part of the body, we have our parasympathetic, which is going to be the rest and digest. And up here, when we're breathing here in this slightly stressed state, you're sympathetic, like in a nervous state all the time, which we are our society in general. I think we're doing far too much or it's just become a, a bad habit. But literally doing that one simple thing can just completely, completely relax you. So again, it goes back to them making a decision or dealing with a thing or living the rest of your day, in two or three minutes, you can really change it. So that's the first one that I tell people because many people don't do it. And then the other one, which is like, well, the other one, there's so many. But the one is like there was Soma stroke, the WIM technique where you're breathing in the rhythm. And now if you breathe in a rhythm, let's some people say it's 4.5 seconds. Some people say it's five or four. But I truly believe, like Naraj says, it's any kind of rhythm is going to help you get into a state of coherence, hard coherence. Mix mm. that. Rhythmical, simple rhythmical breathing, ideally towards five in, five out. So it's six breaths in a minute. But then also mixing that with like a form of gratitude or a positive thought. That being the, one of the main things will put you into a state of heart coherence very, very quickly. The heart math goes on about this a lot. And again, I try it in the workshops. Sometimes I get people running around and jumping when most of the time. But sometimes I surprise them and we just lie there. We start off for five minutes, rhythmical, simple mm -hmm. breathing with the nice music and you get people to let go and i'm doing it myself and it changes everything you go and you but mixing those two is the powerful thing the intention it doesn't have to be too like gotta to do that tomorrow no just gratitude you could yeah. just change the way the brain is with gratitude simple you can't it's again another tony one you can't feel anger and grateful at the same time so gratitude yeah. but give yourself you know more than 10 seconds mm -hmm. see something feel something it could be very simple like i had the other day stress doing things i'm often in this room i've got lots of clients online and I stop and I go, hang on, right out there at my door, I've got this, I'm in a jungle. It's yeah. amazing. It's beautiful. But I forget it. A lot of the time I forget. So I just went to that and it really changed my state. You mix that with the rhythmical breathing and making an effort to breathe in a rhythm. So that would be then again, the nose towards the belly, but not pausing. Very, very simple. Those little two ones will, will really make a difference to your day if you do them just a few times a day. Or you have to do something, you just pause. <sighs> Even when you just do that once or twice and you lower your shoulders at the same time, literally mentally, because we're going around with this tension, even if we're not necessarily in a bad mood, you know, and you just, mm -hmm. just letting it go, just literally letting it go. Three is the magic number. You do three of those, 
it works. And I was with Dan Brule in Mexico at the beginning of this year. And it's a bit strange the way he does it, to be honest. But he does this thing and he's like, he, pour, he pauses when he's talking and he goes, okay. So now, you know, well, he, does, he tells you it's going to happen. But people, we need to just pause sometimes before we think and speak. So he pauses. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> a bit weird, you know, but it, it, I get it. Because we'd all, we'd all do it in the 30 people in the room. I mean, yeah. And you continue yeah. talking. Just yeah. that one thing makes you feel different. It really does. But then the Soma, yeah. the Wimtech on top. That takes things to another level. It really, really does. Yeah, one of the, uh, I guess, uh, influences of breathwork in my life was Dan Brule. Because he appeared on our show uh, a couple oh, nice. of years back. And like you've pointed out, he doesn't just do breathwork. He is breathwork, you know? And, and so you can you can hear it the way he speaks. And then he'll have these yeah. random pauses, but he's deeping, breathing deeply also. And back in those days, I used to just do an audio podcast, no video. Yeah. I could just hear him breathing. And I knew the emphasis that he places on breathing and he really means it and yeah. he starts uh, Tony Robbins he shared some gifts with Tony Robbins as well and uh, back in those days I knew Tony Robbins had a huge emphasis on breathing but I did not know how deep that went and like you mentioned he speaks about the importance of being in a state and when you're in a state when you seed those when you plant those seeds whether it's of intention of gratitude of manifestation or of shift of breaking a habit it really works and so uh, so, so thanks a lot and one thing I wanted to talk about is one of the misconceptions maybe of breath workers. A lot of times we feel that, you know, we need to breathe. We need to get more oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. And what we find through yogic breathing or pranayama is that that's not necessarily true, right? I mean, there are instances where you need to breathe in for sure, oxidize your body, but too much of oxygen might lead to rusting, so to speak, or over oxidation. And sometimes you just need to hold the breath or the kumbhaka. So what's the significance maybe of holding your breath or breathing out more than you're breathing in during the breath work phase? What is that doing for you? So over time, you're, if you practice this more, because again, a habit, probably without people realizing, even when people are exercising, we don't need to use this so much. If we get into the habit of using that, because we want to get to a point where we're CO2 tolerant. Right. It's got the bad reputation, but it's the CO2, it's the carbon dioxide. Then you've got all this oxygen in the body. But if you don't have enough carbon dioxide in your blood, to take the oxygen off the red blood cells and into the tissues, you'll mm. get oxidative stress. So that's basically heavy breathing. <laughs> you get an oxygen, but you're breathing out the carbon dioxide as well too fast. So the rhythmical, simply mm. the slower breathing will help that entire chemical balance in the body. But basically when we're breathing in this rhythm for a few minutes, for example, and then we're slowly breathing out the carbon dioxide, and we're breathing out the carbon dioxide, but also breathing in oxygen, but not to here. You can breathe in here, but you start with the belly. Nose to the mm. belly. Just the habit is formed, it becomes easier. Then it comes up. But then you get an oxygen into the lower part of the lungs where there's more receptors, alveoli. I think I always say that wrong, but never mind. You're breathing mm. in, you get more into the blood. Then you're breathing out your carbon dioxide. Now, when you've got lower carbon dioxide, it's carbon dioxide which tells the brain it needs to breathe. I think it goes through, passes through a thing called the medulla in the brain. And that's what tells you to breathe. So the more you breathe out, the less carbon dioxide you have in your system the longer you can hold your breath. And this is when in stoma, you go into that phase. You can get into a phase called intermittent hypoxia within a minute or so. And there's a little technique to like bring the breath in and then out again quite quickly, which means you can spend a few minutes there, which also helps you get into a meditative state. But yeah. in this particular phase, you've got low carbon dioxide, so you really don't need to breathe. But of course, the reptilian part of our brain is like, after a few seconds, depends on the person, depends on the day. It could be a minute, could be 30 seconds. I need right. to breathe. I need to breathe. This is about, yeah. 
But you can really calm that response down in the brain, which is also very handy. I say to people, go past the comfort zone in this phase and don't listen to that brain because it's that brain which is like, what, how, what, how many times have you overreacted to someone afterwards? You're like, shit, you know, maybe I shouldn't have or it's a different way of doing it. If right. we can calm that animalistic reptilian response just mm -hmm. a little bit within the meditation, that's going to help us train the response for the rest of the day, I believe. So that is part of it as well. But essentially, the carbon dioxide is out and then it builds. When you've got low carbon dioxide, you hold your breath in, the carbon dioxide slowly comes up in the body. And that's when the bore effect happens. That's when basically that carbon dioxide is, is low. It gets higher and higher and higher as you're holding your breath, takes the oxygen off the red blood cells and deposits it into the tissues in a very simple explanation, which is he calls it hyperoxygenation because you can't really get more oxygen in the blood. We have about 80, sorry, 98, 99% in the blood anyway. So this kind of feeling, we've got to get more oxygen, more oxygen. No, we've got to get a better balance. Yeah. Simply slowing your breath down is going to help you in many, many different ways. But it obviously doesn't have to be every second of the day. The 365 method, so three times a day, six breaths a minute, for five minutes. So put a simple track on. Uh, which I'm going to release one tomorrow, actually. I played ukulele. My brother did the piano. It's five mm -hmm. minutes, very simple. So I'm going to be breathing on top, five in, five out. Because I need to do it for my dad because he needs this as well. Um, and you'll just basically go into a heart coherent state very, very quickly and so good for you. Just to learn to balance and slow the breath down. Because naturally, we're going to go like <laughs> afterwards. But if you can just for a few minutes, Three, six, right. five. It's a very simple idea, but that will help as well. Wonderful. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you're listening right now, it's not just about breathing quickly. It's just not about increasing the oxygen in your body, but it's systematically using different techniques, slowing down your breath, sometimes increasing the pace, but also modulating or regulating the amount of oxygen as well as carbon dioxide to have a certain physiological effect on your body. Ultimate relaxation or, you know, research has found that it higher carbon dioxide environment allows for the proliferation of stem cells also, right? Which are yep. usually sort of hidden in the bone marrow. But in that environment, it can sort of go around your body and do the regeneration or the healing of the cells, which is beautiful. So this, this is not just, uh, you know, spiritual, yeah. but it's highly scientific as well, which is wonderful. Yeah, with so many days, I've talked about that quite a lot, the scientific side, and he's very, very good, Naraj, because that's where he comes from. And that is the case where essentially you mentioned here yeah, the oxygen and in the body and the carbon dioxide, but essentially we want to get the oxygen into those tissues. So we want to get the carbon dioxide raised, but get the balance, get the balance in there. And again, you can do the rapid breathing, you know, you can do, but it's the holding, the kumbaka, that phase, that is the magical phase, holding of the breath. But you need that rhythmical breathing before, then you breathe out and you hold. I get people to hold there for minutes with the sip of air. And you can test that your oxygen is really, really high, yeah. deep to low, and that's when the stem cells come out. So when you're going down that low, right. that's when the stem cells will come out with the niches and the bone marrow in the body, and you can direct it. I mean, this is all like words. Does it work? Does it not? But I truly believe it does. You, I've felt areas of my body in the past, and I've visualized them and seen them. You can direct the stem cells to those places when you're in that meditative state, if you want to, if you feel to. And the only way to know any of these things, to try it out. Mm -hmm. Give it a go. Awesome. Um, so Greg, you know, talk to us about overall living a life of freedom because I'm thinking, you know, I know a lot of people around the world, especially those listening to our podcast are doing so for a particular reason because they want to be free in a certain way. So what does freedom mean to you? Uh, it's funny you say that because I've just been redoing my website and um, yeah. it was helping me and she kind of came up with that experience, pure freedom because okay. the original 
little tagline was change your energy, change your life. And that's okay. very nice as well, but experience pure freedom because about, I was, you know, it's one of those days and I, there's a there's re- reason for this story. One of those days yeah. is Zoom that we all rely on right now. Um, yeah. And I was on Zoom and this, it broke, it didn't work. It was about five weeks ago. And I was like, holy shit, what am I going to do? And I had the Sunday session in the evening to do and all these people. What would happen is people would come in, but they couldn't actually get into the meeting properly. Right. But I knew that I could put it on Facebook. And I knew I got, so I, I was messaging all these people, 10 people at once. Okay, just go to Facebook, go to Facebook, go on page. It's going to be yeah. fine. We're going to do it. Went onto Facebook and there was a black screen. And the reason I didn't think it would make much difference, but I think it did. So the black screen, just my name. And I, yeah. can you hear the music? I got the levels right there. Yeah. And as I started to do this meditation, I did the meditation on freedom. And I was going all over the place. And I was, because it was a black screen, because I'd had this weird moment before, and because mm. it was actually work and there was people there, I was throwing things around, coming up with all these expressions, dancing around naked, hugging a tree, holding, 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 holding your breath, believe in yourself, feel the freedom, do. I loved it because I'd forgotten all those things which I tell my students in Stoneman as well. I'm like, don't forget these things, forget that. And this particular day, I'd forgotten any kind of normal rule. And it yeah. was pure, pure freedom. Freedom from me, which then they felt. But if anything, the basic, basic principle of what freedom is, it has to be freedom of expression. Yeah. And I don't have it all day, every day, but quite a large proportion of the day I do. And uh, freedom of expression, freedom to be emotional as well, freedom to actually do the things that you want. And I also believe that you have to do many things that you don't want to do. But if you find a passion, a cause and a, a thing and you go for it with action, with like force, then things will come your way. And that's what's happened to me. I'm not like waking up every day and it's the most perfect day every day. But because I'm putting myself out there and I've done it from day one and I've been energetic and had the good energy and passion for it, things just start to come your way. And then I have the choice. So it comes down to choice as well. I have the choice then to decide between different avenues of either business, people to work with, people not to work with. Um, And again, it's not all perfect, but it's amazing how that, if I was comparing my life 10 years ago, I have freedom and I have choice. Something Mm -hmm. I believed many years ago when I was drinking that I didn't have choice and I was Mm -hmm. completely wrong. I have choice. And it took me a long time to realize that. Um, and again, sometimes you have to disagree with people um, and go different ways. But I hopefully do it now with, um, you know, with being very open and very easy without being too aggressive or anything like that. Just literally speak my opinion, go in a separate way or you speak your opinion and then you realize, hang on, we're pretty much the same. I believe we're all very, very, very similar. We're just different shades of the same color, you know, to do with emotions, to do with life, everything. Same thing, just a different shade. So, freedom of expression, even if that expression means expressing your story, expressing your voice, maybe crying, just, you know, being truthful to yourself and working and collaborating with the right people and having the choice to do so. And let's talk about fear and uncertainty a bit now, because whenever someone wants to change their life or wants to make a difference, wants to embark on something new, what usually accompanies is some fear or some uncertainty, uh, which tends to hold them back. So, how do you go about dealing? with that fear that sort of tends to arise, you know, from deep down and sort of surfaces up. The most basic um, sentence I've ever heard is feel the fear and do it anyway. Now it's a Mm -hmm. sentence, it's easy to say, but um, I suppose I'm lucky in the sense that I've always been quite out there and I wanted to do things. I want, if it is a mountain and I feel like climbing it, I will just go. I don't look back. If I want to go to that country, I'll just feel it. And then you get to certain points where, okay, you have to, not have to, but the certain moments when you're going to, Right now, if I was to do a workshop outside, I would just know what to do because I've done so many. 
and it's mm. second nature now. With I also want to learn constantly and do different things. But going back a while, I would have genuine fear or fear of the judgment of other people. And let's give an example of the work I'm doing now. Because I didn't come from a yogic background, because I didn't really come from knowing anything about breath work, I have studied quite a lot. I've learned how I want to learn and the things I'm interested in. I would do workshops and I'd be worried that someone would come in who would know a lot about yoga, would know how to say the words perfectly because my accent's strange. I don't, even though now I'm comfortable with that. But like, what if they ask me questions? What if, and I would get the fear and I would mm. feel it. Yeah. So part of the, the jumping around at the beginning of my classes, Tony Robbins style, releasing the energy, moving and doing it for a reason. Part of that is actually for me. People don't realize it. You know, It's like, so I go to these classes sometimes, more in the past, less now. And you're just tired, you know, you might not necessarily want to be there. There's 20 people, they want to be led, they want to learn the technique and they haven't got a clue what's going to go on. So I do the two things. I put music on, I get people and myself dancing around and I change my state really quickly. But I have those moments of fear and the only way is just to actually do it. Just to put yourself on the spot, be willing to make a mistake, be willing to look a little bit stupid and be willing to, yeah, really not have all the answers. Like coming on here, I don't know what you're going to ask me, you know. Mm. It could be another show where it's a doctor, he just wants to talk about science, and I'd be like, okay, I know a bit of this and a bit of that. But I would have fear inside of me because maybe I'd feel I wouldn't know how to express it completely. But then that brings me to the point of why I realize I quite like what I'm doing because it's really about emotion. And if it's about emotion and being who you are, expressing yourself and letting other people express themselves, then I'm totally comfortable in that because I can go there quite easily And I want to go there. And there's no rules. There's no rules there. It's like purely this conversation now. We're just, it's in the flow. We'll see what, where we go, what happens. And if two people are on a similar wavelength, it should be easy and it can go anywhere. And that's the style you have as well. I noticed from even the call last week, the way you speak and the way you're attentive to people's words and you express yourself is really nice. It just, it's a warm feeling, you know? So that personally helps me. If it was someone else and I might feel a bit more uncomfortable, I'd, Right. Without doing anything wrong, I would probably worry more. But my personal yeah. way to just go through, right through the middle, right through the middle, right. and just keep going, keep going, keep going, don't stop. Love that. I mean, what I love most is, I think especially in today's day and age, with the emergence of uh, all these different social media platforms, it's easy to hide behind a filter, right? It's easy mm-hmm. to hide behind these professionally designed videos, these B-rolls where you're, you know, showing everything, but people miss out on the essence of that human being. And I think sometimes, vulnerability, sometimes, you know, like I had a little bit of a tech issue before our streaming or this and that, you know, small things like that and and saying that, you know, you're not perfect. Or maybe in your case, like you said, you don't have a long yogic lineage, but you're here to serve. You know that you can support them and people have come. They are in front of you, those 20 odd people. And uh, it's beautiful what happens when together you're able to change their state and allow them to surrender to the experience, which is when the magic happens. So, so thanks a lot for sharing. Um, really, on that point, it's really important. I think yeah. you mentioned there's some kind of beginners to meditation stuff. It is totally for everyone, especially the breath. And right. if anything I want to do in a business sense, but also a personal sense for the rest of my life is to tell people it's possible, number one, to do anything you want, however mm-hmm. strange it may be, but wipe away the bullshit, do some breathing, Feel the emotion and just get it. It's possible for everyone. And you do not have to be a yogi for many years. You literally just start breathing. You will change the way you feel. Put some good music on. Think about something you want to do. Give it give it an emotion, a color. It's that simple. I want to feel it. I want to feel like that tomorrow. Great. 
think, breathe, think, breathe, hold your breath. It's magic. It's magic. It's simple. It's for everyone, man. Everyone. So have you ever had a mystical or a deep spiritual experience? Something that you can't quite fathom or explain? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Let me think. Let me think. <clears throat> no, okay. Two have come to mind straight away. Now, when again, I started the program, the 12-step AA, basically, and my sponsor asked me if I'd had any spiritual experiences, moments. And I was like, I couldn't really. I was like, no, not really. I don't know what. I didn't know what you meant. Right. Um, and then I thought about it a little bit. And I was like, yes, I have. He said, just little moments. It doesn't mean that there's something that's come down and go, oh, no, I've just thought of three things, actually. Something's come down and told you these things, and that's the answer. No. It was yeah. a moment, for example, at my granddad's funeral many, many years ago. And I rem- remembered this afterwards that I was sitting there and I remember looking up and there's a shaft of light coming in through the church. And they're not necessarily my favorite places, but some of them are beautiful. And it was a very simple church, but his coffin was at the front. It was his funeral. I had this moment with me and with him. When this light came in, I really felt that that was him in the light. And whatever that means to anyone else or anything, it, to me, it was about connection. And that was a spiritual moment to me. And it stood out. It didn't, I didn't walk out and go, oh, my God, I've just seen God. It was more like I stopped the brain, my mind, and I felt. And I felt a connection and something symbolic. Then another one makes me think of Betty, who I mentioned, my cat. When she died, I had to have her put down in the end. She was quite ill. She lived a long life. And I had the most amazing connection with that animal. Really, really, really. Um, right. It was just beautiful. And I still feel it right now. I really do. But um, when she died, uh, it was time. In fact, I think I left it a little bit too long because she was very ill. But I took her to the vet that night. Uh, and the funny thing was, I was with my ex at the time, who we got Betty together many, many years ago in England. And we went to the, to the vet and eventually it took like an hour or so. And she was quiet and relaxed. And, and then we put her down. Um, and I could feel in my entire body, I could feel when the spirit of Betty left her body. And it was actually a relief of a whole body. Oh, I could feel it going through me and I saw that her body was just lying there and it was actually better because it was just the body. And that was the only time I've ever seen anything or anyone die. And I could mm-hmm. feel a spirit and I realized it was time and it needed to. And that was completely a spiritual moment and actually quite nice. And the last one uh, was when I took ayahuasca about uh, two, two years ago, three years ago, can't remember. Um, I've only taken it a few times, but I like it. And again, not too much, but it's just good. And I was very strong this day. And I was thinking, I was reading Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And um, I remember the guy told me, Greg, this time if you feel sick, you've got to make yourself sick and take out the darkness inside, the bad things inside. It needs to come out because the last time I nearly fainted. So I was, okay. And I'm sitting now. I was actually having quite a good time. Some people were getting upset and things, but, you know, it was a ceremony and that's normal. And the music's on and we're all basically to the point where we're tripping quite strong. And I need to be sick, so I was sick a little bit, a little bit more, not much. And I was like, okay, wait there. I think I have a little bit more darkness in me that I need to get out. And then I tried and I couldn't. And I said, well, maybe maybe I don't have more darkness to get out. Maybe it's just inside me. I looked up and because I was in this moment of accepting, I saw this huge, the whole ceiling was moving, but I saw this huge, huge kind of, I don't know if it was a wolf or like a, a huge butterfly or like an eagle coming towards me. And I looked at it, I was like, and it was black. That's like, that is the darkness. That is the darkness in me. And I just went, Oh, I accept you. And I swear to God, it flew away in front of me. This whole image just went, and I was really tripping, but I was like, oh my God. If I'd have fought against that, if I'd have said, no, I've got to get the darkness out of me. I'm, I'm not bad. I'm dark, dark. And it would have stayed, I believe, maybe symbolic. But because I accepted the darkness, it just flew away in front of me. And those are the three moments that have just come to mind. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing. I think 
animals have a a sentience uh, mm. that is beyond words uh, that I've heard and I've seen actually. I was part of a healing retreat once where we were doing some energy healing and we were doing some meditation, and the animals seem to understand that. They seem to be comforted by that presence, and they come and they sit and they know they understand what is totally. happening. It's beautiful. What is happening is the connection of all these souls and and a lot of healing work. So you know, my goal is when we have that workshop or that retreat in the future, that I'd like to have some animals as well, yes. whether it's a dog or a cat. But you know, multi multi species. <laughs> yeah, it should be because they're they're really good for uh, for our soul. It was Walt Whitman, uh, the poet, who wrote, "I could learn to live with the animals. They are so placid and self contained." They do yeah. not whine for their condition. Not one of them is king among men. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's really, we've always had animals in the family, but with Betty. And again, it go to like the time where, you know, if I'm kind of manic, she was so cool. Like, yeah. She was so cool. She'd be around. But if I would just relax, or really genuinely relax within two minutes, boom, right there. And if I was moving too much and I was anxious, she'd be always with me, but she'd sit in the corner and just watch me be mad. When you relax, then they come to you. They just know. But also animals, you know, they he's so right. They do not whine for their condition, Walt Whitman said. It's so true. Because I'd walk in the door and simply she was happy to see me every time. Yeah. But every time. And it's yeah. like my friend said that of his kid when he had a kid um, when she was very, very young. He said, whatever's going on in your mind, your day, and you walk in the door and this living thing looks at you and it's just like happy to see you because mm-hmm. that's the most natural thing. It wipes away all the other, all the other crap, you know. Animals can teach us so much, I think, really. For sure, for sure. Thanks a lot. And so based on what we've discussed today and the stories that you've shared and the nuggets of wisdom that we've sort of explored, what is that one action step that you'd like to share with our listeners? What do you mean by action step? Like, So someone's listened to this episode. What should they do next? Like, What is that one step they should take that could uh, maybe better their lives or improve the quality of their you know, living? Something, something small, I don't know. Very, very small because without, yeah, realizing it, just, I'm obsessed with the breath now, you know. Um, just be aware of how you breathe. If you want the most simple thing to be able to change your state, one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. Be honest with yourself and see where you breathe. One hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. I imagine with you, you're probably breathing towards your belly. It's hard to tell, but I naturally do. Now, if people can just test themselves and be really honest, they'll show I'm really relaxed, but they're like, hey, there's one here, one there, and just see what which one raises first. So with me, it's naturally down here in the stomach, and I'm naturally going in through the nose. It wasn't always like that, but I'm, more or less I do that most of the time. Now, if you just see where you're breathing on an average basis, and you're breathing here, number one, get into the habit of breathing through the nose. Imagine it's going right down the spine, the lower part of your body. Now, if you get used to that, and you breathe in by roughly two and breathe out by roughly four through the mouth, you will simply change how you feel within a few minutes. But that is had asthma, and this year he's had it a lot less because of the simple things I've been telling him to do by extend his breath. And he's a, he's a mouth breather. But I said, change your habit, change your habit. And he's like 74, he's very, very, very healthy. Probably healthier than me, to be honest, but he's got quite a bad chest. And that's helped him already. Now, it's only a small thing, but to me, you can change your breath, which is going to change your state which goes back to my original tagline, change your energy, change your life. It really is that way. But we need to practice these things, you know? And I need to be reminded myself, my, my students teach me, 
you know, by maybe sometimes doing more than me or talking about these things. But definitely, number one step for me, the breath will help you. It's the bridge, man. It's the bridge between the conscious and the subconscious as well, because the subconscious really rules the day. And just quickly on that note, with the Soma technique, they've actually done tests where in that moment where you're holding your breath, you're knocking out the default mode network in the brain, which is basically the link between the conscious and the subconscious. That's pretty much the ego. When you quieten that part, that's when you can let other things in. That's when you're going into a deep meditative state quickly. So therefore, the things you're seeing and you're feeling, you're really talking to your subconscious because most of this is the creative part. 5% of the day is created. The rest of the time, we're just a machine running on the old, old programs. And it's probably not going to change much. But if we have a little bit of possibility to change that by not necessarily just standing there and pausing your breath, but number one step, controlling your breath in whatever way that is for you. It could be to, to wake up or to relax. Then learn something like, it could be the whim, it could be Soma, it could be anything. You go to my website, you can ask you questions now, you're going to be a Soma instructor. But it's find something which fits, but play with your breath. Then you'll be able to play with your mind and then be able to plant some beautiful seeds in there, which is going to change things. And just look for, you know, what is it um, someone else said? I think it was a stoicism, stoic quote. And it's change your, it's change your thoughts, change your life. Don't know, beware of your thoughts because your thoughts become your actions. And it's so true, man. We're all going to go in different directions. But if we can stop and go bring that one back, and it doesn't have to be sitting there holier than thou, because I am not. But I want to make it bright and beautiful, whatever I'm doing, or good and, and active. Find the right people. So yeah, the breath. Step one. So Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed our session so far and you now know that you can change your breath and you can change your life as we progress. We're noticing that everything is speeding up and speeding up means change is happening really, really quickly. And this can be a stressful experience uh, because, you know, you know that change could mean joy or it could mean sadness also. So press some unconditional love, uh, remain detached from the outcome because the truth is that a lot of things are happening in the universe that are out of your control. Uh, what is within your control is how you breathe and how you react and how you think, your thoughts. Uh, because you never know what miracle or what person or what opportunity is waiting out there for you. And just like Dan Brule, the breathwork master, who's also been on our show, once said, whenever it seems that we have lost someone or something, the space left behind is a natural opening to something bigger or something greater. And with that being said, it's now time for the last round of our show, which is called the Wisdom Round. So four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. But before that, if you are interested in embarking on the breathwork journey that blends ancient yogic breathing with brainwave entrainment music and guided imagery, then you might want to check out the 21-day awakening program, which is part of Soma Breath which we're talking about today. I recently went through the experience and because I've received a few questions lately about what modalities I'd recommend, I recorded a 14-minute video about my experience with this practice. I did experience some mystical states during these guided meditations, including seeing a bright purplish ball of light in front of my third eye, which I talk about in the video. Now, I'm not promising you that you'll experience these things as well, but that's what I did. And obviously, this is a free video, but after watching it, you'll be able to make an informed decision about whether this 21-day breathwork journey is for you or not. So if you have some time and you're fascinated by yogic breathwork, then go to my7chakras.com forward slash soma. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash S-O-M-A, and uh, you'll be able to learn more.
So let's begin with the wisdom round. And as most of our listeners know, this helps you take note and take action. So Greg, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received in life? Oof. Wow, it's a tough one. I come to like images. It was okay. Yeah, I go back to my grandma uh, when she was alive and she was so wise and she'd just say the right things at the right time. And it was something to do with the situation, um, something I thought. Uh, it wasn't a bad thing in the family. And she just quietly and peacefully said, Greg, just you just keep that to yourself. Like she, she would say, she said it to me in a way which meant she knew I was maybe right, but it didn't really matter. What she said, what she was telling me was, it's best not to say that. You said you keep that to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's very important, I think. And it sounds simple, but it, we don't always need to say so many things. You know? uh, I like to talk a lot, but it's, I don't always have to go on and on and on and maybe say too many things too much. And it was something I read in an article where they interviewed lots of older people in the 80s and the 90s. And they asked them some questions about what they would change or any regrets in life. And the most popular response was, I wish I hadn't said this or I wish I hadn't said that. Which goes back again to the breath pause. Pause before you make the decision, before you say those words. And trust me, if I had a sign I could read every day, it would help me because I don't always do it. But like pause beforehand and then make the decision. So definitely keep it to yourself. Obviously not for everything, but yeah, you will know when it's right to say something or not. And often we don't need to go to that anger, go to that resentment. It's just not necessary. And then let's look at our life. When you get to the end of your life, would you be happier if you'd have kept contact with a lot of those people and not said some just nasty things, things that come up in everyone's mind? Or just maybe, I won't say that, I'll leave it be. And then hopefully over time, things will be different and better and you still have the contact. I believe that can make us... It's too easy to go down the negative road, you know, too easy. Mm. Keep it to yourself. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone living or dead, who would it be? My mother, definitely. Just to talk about things, you know. Um, I used to imagine that she would be on the streets when I was in my teens. I'd just meet her, um, but I never did. So, yeah. And it's not like I don't, it's not really, really bad anymore. I'm like, I'm 44 now, but it's, I would like just to spend a bit of time. And I've actually had, one or two, this is something a few years ago I never would have done, but I respect people. If I like the person, I really listen to what they say. And a few people are spiritual women, uh, is it uh, psychics, clairvoyants? And they've not necessarily spoken to my mother, but said things and given me signs and signals. And yeah. I believe that you can speak to the spirits of uh, people that are no longer here. And I believe that we've come through through many different lives. And the physical form is one thing, and the other stuff is is more complex yet more simple. But yeah, if I had an hour, I would go back and just spend an hour with my mom. And then I think, you know, I'd still be happy to come back here and continue normal life. Well, thanks a lot for sharing. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, uh, what would it be? What book would that be? Gotta be. I bought everyone this for Christmas about four years ago. I don't think anyone read it. The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. It's very, very simple and very, very powerful. And he does this thing, which some of the older books do a bit like in AA. He mentioned the word God. But if you are not religious, don't let it put you off. If you are, great. Well, it doesn't make any difference. But the advice in that book is simple, but very, very good. And to me, that was a huge turning point in my life about four years ago, realizing that the things I was interested in, it was actually quite simple to be able to influence those things. Because for many years, I was like, why am I thinking this way? Well, you know, I, I would kind of blame myself. And that's really an alcoholic's dream. He's oh my God, poor me. Um, and it took me a while to come out of that and then realize, okay, I can twist the way I think quite naturally. Yeah, that's right. the book. Go buy it today. So there you go, Action Tribe. 
the power of your subconscious mind. You can buy it on Amazon or yeah. you can get it for free uh, because audible.com is offering all our listeners one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out their service. Don't pay anything right now. Download the book, listen to it. And it's a different way of consuming because in most yes. cases, the author or somebody else is sort of reading the book to you. You can make bookmarks, you can make notes. If you don't like the book, you can give it back. You've got loads of book online, especially if you're in transit, doing some breath work. I mean, not doing some breath work. I would not recommend listening to, to an audio book. Or maybe you can, but maybe you're going for a jog. <laughs> Listen to an audiobook from Audible for free. Go to my7chakras.com forward slash freebook. That's my7chakras.com forward slash freebook. And so many of you claim these credits because, hey, it's free. You're not paying anything right now. But download The Power of Your Subconscious Mind yes. or just get a physical book and consume it. I'm um, going to do that. I want it on audio because I need the audio more. I'm terribly lazy when I'm reading. So yes. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I love that book, man. It's so good. So good. Perfect. I'm going to get that as well. Greg, thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, before you. you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and, and uh, the best way that we can find you and how can people reach out to you and maybe partake in one of your beautiful breathwork sessions. Okay, what I'm grateful for is still feeling a connection with all the people I've met in my life. That can be from lovers to people I've been in love with, their family, friends. I do feel it. I'm a bit all over the place, but when I feel it from my heart, I genuinely feel connected to all these people and it's that simple. Man, we could change. One meditation I do is and you're walking down a road and you're just meditating, you're walking along and then you invite different people in. You invite them in and they just walk with you. People who are no longer here, people you want to meet, anybody, people that you don't you don't even agree with, but you probably still like, you know, invite mm. them in, walk down the road, don't say a word. Right. Just see that you're walking on this beautiful road in the mountain and bring them in. Just let them come in. So that I am still connected to a lot of people that I don't even speak to every day, but I, I feel that and I'm very grateful to think that way and feel that way. And I'm pretty sure they feel the same. And yeah, please find me on infinitebreathworks.com. Get me on Facebook. I use Instagram a bit, but Facebook's more popular for me. Infinite Breath Group. It's a free group. And in there I do, well, online I do Sunday sessions is my thing at the moment, where basically every week at, what time is it now? So yeah, an hour before now at 6 p.m. Paris time, every single Sunday, one hour, live, intense. You came on last week. I mean, just go for it. I'm really going to build those classes and we just come up with different music, different styles. I mainly use the Soma technique, but I always like to play around a bit. Sometimes I get people jumping around. Other times we go straight into just relaxed breathing. But get me on uh, my Sunday sessions every single week. Facebook, Infinite Breath Group. Greg Mannion, get me as a friend. Infinite Breath Works is my website. Try some of those things. If you're really, really, really interested and you want a one-on-one -on -one session with me, I do coaching and I also do private sessions with people. So please just find me. Facebook is probably one of the easiest, Greg Mannion. And yeah, say hello. Wonderful. We'll have all these links up in the show notes. And Action Tribe, if you are on Instagram, which I know you are, or maybe you're not, <laughs> but take a screenshot of this episode on your phone. You know, you have to take the screenshot and then tag me so that I can share your story with your with our community. My handle is at my7chakras, at my7chakras. And you can tag Greg as well, Greg Mannion. You can just search for him on Instagram. But make sure you do that because that is like one other way of building community, right? We connect on social media. But Greg, thank you so much for coming on our show. I appreciate you sharing your story and being vulnerable and sharing these amazing uh, techniques and methods and ways of thinking uh, mm. that will allow us to get free of our mm. unconscious breathing and breathe more consciously, but also take charge and control of our lives and taking us one step closer 
to a human revolution. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my S-E-V-E-N chakras.com.